Welcome to Tether Together, a podcast about friendship, care, and connection from Laura Interlandi and Erica Livingston of Birdsong Brooklyn. We're so glad you're here. Hi, friends. We're going to start this episode a little bit differently. First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to you for showing up in this space. We have been dreaming of this for so long, and it has been, I hope, as nourishing for you as it has been for us. We have read your reviews on iTunes. We are so buoyed by the learning that you feel is taking place here. And if you haven't had a chance or you haven't remembered to leave us a review, I would encourage you to do that. I would ask you from the bottom of our hearts. It makes a huge difference in terms of our ability to reach more people, to rate higher in the charts, and to continue to grow Tether together. So thank you so much for being here. Second of all, I want to make a huge announcement, and that is that we are almost at our favorite time of the year. Yes, the holidays, and yes to the juicy, nourishing, inward brewing of the winter season. But for us, it means something a little bit extra. Okay, a lot extra, because we're pretty extra. We are about to launch our online 13-week mentorship journey called Scene. Maybe you've taken it from us before. If so, hey, are you going to come back for more? (laughs) Uh, Maybe you've heard about it and you're ready to leap. Hey, we're excited to have you. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll let you in a little bit on the secret. Okay, so we designed Scene when we started to receive a barrage of emails and DMs and in-person requests from doulas and people that are adjunct to the perinatal period that wanted a more constructive place to really air out their ongoing learning challenges. We've done this in a lot of different formats for quite a few years now, and we have really fine-tuned our approach. With Scene, it is 13 weeks. It is mindfully curated. Each week has a theme, and there is a narrative arc obviously, because we're storytellers. And that narrative arc builds a wheel of service that you can really, really be proud of and really feel foundationally supported by. Even if you've been doing this for 20 years, there is something in here for you. Somebody described it to me last year as their doula training was their horizontal learning axis and taking part in scene was their vertical learning axis. It was a way that they could deepen their own understanding of what knowledge it is that they had already and also go further into delving into their own innate value, really getting clear about their dreams, their visions, their boundary, their scope of service, and of course, being supported by an ever-growing online community of like-minded individuals who want to show up with non-judgment and support each other's highest visions for their own lives and careers. Our scene grads are some of the most amazing people I have ever met and the friendships that form in that space through this spirit of collaboration, non-competitiveness, working outside of sister wound and really seeing each other is what makes scene so special. 
In addition to our weekly live calls, which is done on a video conferencing platform so we can literally see you, (laughs) um, we also have a comprehensive learning portal that has literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of optional enriching online support materials. There are resource docs for every single week, and you can go so hard and deep there. There are luminary interviews with thought leaders from around the world that are pre-recorded for you to watch at your own pace. There are pages and pages, dozens of pages of writing prompts and written exercises that you can go into. There are weekly self-care videos, recordings, and recipes, and we even found a way to weave in intentional, intuitive development through the lens of the tarot. Okay, maybe that sounds weird, but trust me, it's awesome. (laughs) We're adding new stuff all the time, so I can't pretend that this little blip, a blurb in this recording is going to even tell you all of it. But if you have any questions, you're welcome to DM us, email us, and make sure, of course, as always, to be signed up for our email love letters you can find the sign up at www.birdsongbrooklyn.com backslash hey friend. That's H E Y F R I E N D. And we will be releasing more info on Instagram and through those emails very shortly. In the next couple of weeks, registration will be live. There will be a one week period for a deep discount through an early bird special that is available exclusively in a discount code through everyone who's signed up in our email love notes as a big thank you for being in that space. We hope to see you in scene. Back to our episode. Today we're going to talk about trust building huge. This so is huge. important. It's so important in life. I was going to say doula work and then I was like, whoa, life. Everything. And last week we talked about sister wound. So if you didn't hear that episode, that would be helpful and probably you'd enjoy that. But the anecdote, antidote to sister wound or how can we start to begin to operate outside of this like harming and wounding paradigm in female centered spaces and female, largely female identified spaces. And the definition again, to remind you being the way we socially, emotionally, and psychologically wound each other as a result of a buying in to a hierarchy and a scarcity complex of just beingness, Mm -hmm. uh, the antidote to that is showing up Mm -hmm. and building trust and being willing to be vulnerable and look within and And hold the wounds of others and hold the wounds of others. So let's start there because (laughs) there's a lot of talk too. I really want to say that we both really like to read about spiritual studies and all kinds of philosophies and ideas. Oh yeah. We're generally fairly positive people, but we have a pretty strong resistance to toxic positivity or manifestation 
like the, the addiction, manipulation, the ma- manifestation manipulation. So where someone says the reason you have a head cold right now is you manifested it. I really hate that. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> and also that, you know, if you haven't seen the meme that's like, maybe you manifested it, maybe it's white privilege. Yeah, for sure it is. Some people are more set up to manifest $1 million than others. Mm-hmm. And some people are set up to manifest a head cold mm-hmm. more than others, right? Because we all have different gut flora <laughs> and sets of circumstances. Oh my gosh, gut flora as privilege? Gut flora privilege. That is a really yeah. good episode idea. Mm-hmm. Just like stick a pin yeah, there. Pit, yeah, dog ear that page. Um, come back next week. <laughs> For gut flora and white supremacy <laughs> and what we think about it. But truth. So the reason that we're talking about this in the reason I was going to say mention toxic positivity is that as we move into talking about trust building and holding wounds and recognizing the wounds of others, there is a popularized notion that, you know, it's not mine to hold your that's not yours to hold. And, yeah, it's important to recognize that my story and your story are different. Yeah. Right. And you have gone through things and I have gone through things. Some people have gone through really intense things because of what we're talking about, certain systems of oppression. Um, So we shouldn't assume that we know or understand the experiences of others, especially the more privileged of a position you're uh, living in with this system in place. We want to make sure that we are not just releasing ourselves of responsibility for caring for others just mm-hmm. because we're saying, well, that's not mine to hold. Let's detangle what's mine and what's not mine about this story. There is a part of us that is always feeling uh, or should be feeling empathy and compassion and responsibility for the wounds of others and whether that's a physical wound like wow that's a big wound on your arm Erica like can I get you a band-aid or whether that is I know this about you I know where you come from I know what your story is and I care for you and so I'm gonna hold some of that wound with you because that's a part of what comes with being in relationship with you Yeah, and I think that it actually has something to do with not needing to fix or change the wound either. So it is being with what is. It's not let's hold each other's wounds and have to heal them, change them, judge them, morph them. You know, any or even of that. weaponize them, turn them around and stick them in that place. Like I mean, it's about I know this about you, and I'm here. And that it do, a lot of times doesn't have to be much more than that. It's the acknowledgement and then the container. It's the, I see that, I know that about you. And I know that you must be feeling pretty big about that right now because of that. And I'm here. But it's not, wow, we really got to get you some help. <laughs> right? Let's work on that wound. Yeah. yeah because... Uh, I think the worst, I just want to that say... That is the weaponizing, I guess. Yeah, right? I want to say that the um, what's coming really through very clearly for me right now is that the worst of the worst of the worst of Sister Wound is 
what we talked about last time, that three-way call, right? Where two people are on the phone and then they go, let's call Erica and pretend and get her to talk about you and say the thing and blah, blah, blah. It's like the... It's the web- screenshot of text. Too. The screenshot That's of text is the... three-way call is the like Gen Xer version mm-hmm. of it. And the screenshot of texting is... In a like private right Facebook group where people are just... Saying or just like the my thing. text between you and me, right? Because and that's our text. private, yeah. Yeah, you and I are texting each other. I screenshot it and show it to Great Aunt Susan in order to prove to her that you are a baddie mm-hmm. and that you're not to be trusted and that something is wrong between you, which also then breaks the trust between us. And the truth is, though it may seem like I'm deepening my friendship with Great Aunt Susan, Susan, it's also telling Great Aunt Susan that I'm not to be trusted. So it just blows everybody up. Yeah, I think that it is when we do know about someone's wound, whether that's like they've said, hey, I, my feelings really get hurt when this certain thing We can happens. use mine. I'm happy to can talk, I talk about, about mine. So I have a, an attachment injury that we are really very forwardly talking about like all the time. <laughs> like yesterday in a bookstore. <laughs> like yesterday in a bookstore. So with my attachment injury, because I am adopted and just in the last two or three years, I have felt capable of acknowledging that that is an attachment injury that plays into current scenarios in my life. And so and a, a good example of my where my injury can show up is in goodbyes. So I have a hard time with goodbyes. I'm going to cry just thinking about them because I have to say goodbye to you tomorrow. I have a really hard time with goodbyes because there's something in me that always thinks a little bit that it's the last one. Mm. So, wow, I didn't mean to get this <laughs> emotional, but this is a good example, right? Yeah. Is that when we permission a container of, of what is going on with someone, just the permission of saying, I'm going to use mine as the example, allows this space of real feelings to come forward. And that's what we're talking about as trust building, is that You can't build trust with someone if you're always in this strength position and this holding of, like, power even if that power is positivity and healing like look totally. how healed i am if you're not in acknowledgement of your vulnerability and of your wounds and <laughs> of like what shows up for you in certain moments then you won't be able to build trust cuz trust is is built on like the razor's edge right mm-hmm. trust is built when you go i got you and also i get you mm-hmm. cuz what happened in the bookshop yesterday is that i was in a bookstore full of books that i wanted every single one and then laura came up and you said i said you're crying about <laughs> saying goodbye to the books aren't you and you said i am and i said you're having an attachment injury response to having to say bye-bye to these books because you're emotionally... And we're laughing about it, but it really... The truth of... It was really happening. Yeah, it was really... It was like Erica was going to pine for, like, the womb-like space of that bookstore. It was a really and, good bookstore, I mean, it, guys, <laughs> if you're thinking, wow, this really got weird fast, um, go to the bookstore, then judge. Um, <laughs> I know you wish you were there, and you can be, too. And you saying that to me is a great example of and I wasn't like it wasn't mocking there was no making fun in fact it was the opposite there was making fun and not making fun of me but you were making it fun 
to be able to say what was really happening instead of me just having these really big feelings about the bookstore (laughs) and by making it something we could kind of joke about and also just be with it. It was you being with what is and Mm -hmm. saying, I see what's happening to you. I know why that's happening to you. And it is okay for us to talk about it. It's okay for us to just experience it together. And I'm over here acknowledging what's happening to you. And the other way I want to talk about it um, now that we're just putting your wounds on blast. (laughs) (laughs) Now that Erica has permission me to excavate her wounds live um, is no, is that what I feel in our friendship is also my responsibility is that that I am in deep relationship with that responsibility as a part of like the spiritual practice that is my friendship to you, mm-hmm. like taking that, that seriously. And that is, um, if there was a moment where I just wanted to like, there are moments, especially cause we live very far apart now when it's so sad it is hard especially well and and the, before we live very far apart it i did have to acknowledge very outwardly and also inwardly for myself that when i wanted to live somewhere that would be very far apart that that would be not just hard for us and me because saying goodbye to friends is hard and logistically running a business together is hard from two separate locations but there'd be another layer for you that I didn't have to then not do what I needed to do for me. Sure, of course. But I still, if I was going to be actually operating on the level of friendship that I was saying I was going to, that I needed to really actually hold that. And some ways that manifested is like getting a Canada-US phone plan. (laughs) (laughs) But like making, literally making space and containers for... I mean, not connection super overwritten, but making space for tethering together. Together, <laughs> absolutely. And also, like, one of the ways that we serve each other as still ongoing as doula partners, even if we're not serving the same client or client base, is that we do, we are processors for each other. So what that means, whether you're a doula or not a doula, what that means is that you have a consensual relationship that your client knows about so that they sign a confidentiality form that would acknowledge that you have maybe one or two named people that um, you are permissioned to discuss their care with for your own uh, continued like growth and also understanding of care so it's very one of the really challenging things about being a doula especially a solo doula in the wild is that you can go on this whole trajectory and whole journey that really no one else ever really sees and that um, it's not like a workplace where you then are like okay guys let's like come back from our breakout groups and say what we learned it's like it's a lot to hold in your brain and really every single scenario is different and also presents opportunities for reflection and growth whether that's academic like oh my client had this scenario happen and I didn't know as much about it as I wanted to what are your resources on it or whether it's Um, something was activated in you, maybe emotionally, or the care provider was actually maybe violent or hard to deal with. And you need to talk about whether you want to work with 
that care provider again in a very open way that you're isn't going to be gossiping or breaking confidentiality with your client. And so there have been times in our processor relationship where it's been, okay, make me a voice note. And then the person saying, actually, no, I need a phone call or I need a FaceTime or when we're in person, I need you to hold physical, personal, one-to-one emotional space. Cause I need to be held through that. Cause that, or it could be like, I had a fight with my partner and I need to talk to you about that in a way that's a little more personal than like text and recognizing that if you're in a friendship with somebody with a really deep attachment injury and you are just like not writing back to their texts or something, that something as simple as just saying, I'm with a client, that person goes, oh, okay, they're with a client. It doesn't like trigger this whole big thing. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the worst of sister wounding is and keeping the, someone unseen. Is, yes, keeping someone unseen and also weaponizing their wounds to make yourself feel like you're in the power position in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that is like so important. And I feel like I've learned so much um, about my own history of statusing within friendships, mm. not just statusing in like a room in a space, being like, I want people to think I'm smart. But actually, like, I want to be higher in the pecking order in this relationship now. And a way to do that is to keep you down. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I didn't see other models. Like, I didn't know about sure. how to do all that. And I'm sure you're listening now going like, wow, there was that time when, like, I knew someone felt really self-conscious about that certain thing. And yet I still picked the restaurant where that would be an issue. Yeah. Or they wouldn't feel included. I mean, inclusion is everyone's wound, right? It's yes. inflamed by attachment wound. But inclusion and exclusion is really, like, where we right, could spend. Right, because in a way, when you're saying that, like, someone, you write someone a text, especially if they have read receipts, and you can see that they've seen it or read it, and you don't hear anything back, no one, like, loves that, <laughs> right? So no matter what, where you are on the, like, big gradient ombre scale of your own attachment uh, or not to someone, no one loves that, right? And so it is about um, figuring how we can see each other. And be I mean, accountable. I mean, like, it's yeah, also, it's I think up. it is also just on a very basic level, it's accountability for your actions. And it's, it's recognizing you, you may or may not have had malintention, but if someone was hurt by something you did, you, if, if you're in any kind of relationship with them, which we're all in some kind of relationship with each other, if something you've done or said or not done, not showed up for, has had a harming or hurting impact, you do have the power and in our belief, the responsibility to do something to repair that. Mm-hmm. And if there's a toxic dynamic at play and somebody is always like victimizing themselves to control you that's another kind of sister wound (laughs) where they're like I'm putting myself down and you're this because you didn't and there's some really tough boundary work that isn't happening in that relationship that can be different but I mean like if somebody reaches to you and says I saw you last week we were talking about roller skating Mm -hmm. and then I saw that you went to the place that I usually go to And I felt hurt by that. 
instead of gaslighting them and just blowing them off and walking away, if you're really actually going to have any kind of authentic, real relationship with that person, the the thing to do is move towards their feeling, even if you feel defensive and even if you didn't mean to hurt them, or even if you were like, I actually did just want to go with my other friend. Totally. There's a way though, this is again where it gets into practicing the languaging of saying what's hard to say in a way that doesn't harm the other person. So I did go roller skating and now I see that that like hurt your feelings and I'm sorry that I didn't invite you, but I was there with my friend that I needed to have some one-on-one time with them. Is there a way we could go together next week or the next time I have a babysitter or, you know, also you can say something like I did forget and that I can see that that was like a, that was a big bummer that I forgot to invite you because I now right now can't even imagine a world in which I would do that because of course you love roller skating so why I forgot that I don't know I'm overwhelmed I'm stressed here's all these things but the truth is I'm sorry and I will work really hard to not forget that again and make sure that when I'm doing the things that I know you really love and would like to do with me I'll do or maybe there is a reason you don't want to be in a friendship with that person what is the accountability then is to get out of it if you don't want to be friends with someone stop pretending that you do because that's also sister wound yeah so it, then it would be something along the lines and of... And we've all had that feeling, too, of saying, I had that happen today where I said to somebody, let's hang out. And I realized in the moment that I said that, that I have said that several other times and not acted to make it happen. I'm pretty they, sure you don't have that person's phone number. I do not. If it's not, the person that, that I witnessed. Of. But I... Yeah, no, but I recognize... Because how will you hang out if you don't have phone numbers? I mean... Canada, we all know each other, just right? Call we just on your go, little like tin like, can moose, that's got a rope yeah, that goes out to the village. Hey, um, <laughs> come, I'm ready to hang out now. Come over. You want to talk about wood storage, <laughs> wood pile storage? How should we stack our wood pile? Let's talk about it. It's town hall that. <laughs> um, no, but I recognized in that moment, and maybe it's because we were on our way to have this conversation, but that. I'm genuine in that desire and life does get busy and I do forget things and I do feel really overflowed in sometimes and like the day that comes that we could do something like that I just end up kind of like flopping over (laughs) and resting or just getting deep with my kids and having times and that's all justifiable but I either need to really actually catalyze that and make that happen or stop saying that yeah because how it may land for that person I don't know it could actually land as um just fake fake right yeah, fake is sister wound is fake sister wound is is or like one word I use a lot for it is like posturing yes where you're kind of like um or when I used to be kind of in the like outcasty skateboarder crew in um, mm. middle school we called it posers. Posers, Like yeah. posing. You know what right. I mean? And so that's how like, so many conversations end up wrapping up. Oh, my God, let's hang out, da 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 And then if one person in that dynamic deeply in that moment needs friendship, right, and is really looking for friendship and thinks that that is going to happen and the other person truly doesn't have the time or the space to make it happen, 
then there's just like an inflaming there that yeah. is come that's like just coming down to a lack of awareness of what's coming out of your mouth, your mouth hole, and the also um, needing to be liked is sister wound, right? Like needing to have like tie a bow on it mm-hmm. and do it the right way and have all social interactions feel really easy and mm-hmm. chill. And sometimes it just like, I mean, sometimes like your kids just drop a bunch of trays of food and everyone just scatters and that's how an interaction <laughs> ends. <laughs> I mean, also I want to say that I'm not saying that in these moments that someone should be like, you're being a fakey, fakey poser, right? Like that putting words to it like that are not for us to like use those words to harm. Mm-hmm. It's just to be self but on. I'm, I'm using some, that as an example, example of a time yeah. that I'm not necessarily tr- actively trying to hurt somebody. I'm just, yeah. I'm not trying to like weaponize friendship actively in that moment, but I kind of am doing that. Right, because if we aren't, it will, and it, it has so much to do with boundaries, right? Trust building has a lot to do with boundaries because I think that the fear that comes up for people when we're talking about how to actually build trust and what that means is this like, where do you end and I begin and how can I figure out? Because I don't want to overgive that you brought up earlier, right? And the way to address that is to have clear boundaries. And sometimes a clear boundary is that at the end of a conversation, if I don't want to hang out, but I had a wonderful time with you right now, that's what I acknowledge. I don't say like, oh my gosh, I, had so I don't say, oh my gosh, it was so good to be with you. We've got to hang out more. I just say, this was so good to be with you. I had such a good time talking to you today. You know, this felt really nice. And I'm so glad you joined us at the table. But it doesn't have to always be with a lingering promise that you're not able to fulfill about a time that you maybe don't even want to have. Mm-hmm. Or just don't okay. have space to have. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's what I, yeah. And I was looking at my agenda this week, and I have been recognizing that, you know, I'm recognizing busyness and the busyness that's necessary. And as a result of having children and having outside of the homework and inside of the homework and all of life. But also recognizing, like, my complicity within filling my schedule in order to feel busy and like I'm always having a place to go and recognizing that because I'm not programming in time for myself that I'm that I'm literally holding on a calendar to say this time is not available available for workspace and this time is not available for other people's social space it's available for my family or my personal needs or just getting my kind of stuff together to make me feel set up for the week um what's happening is that like then those spaces do get filled and then the times when I could be social end up getting kind of like pushed to the side and right because you're just so tired right you just get tired and so what I have started to say when people have kind of almost held me to account Mm -hmm. is um thank you so much for understanding this season of life yeah and I really do want to spend some non-work related hangout friendship building and having time and I'm looking forward to when my youngest child Child is is 8 years old (laughs) (laughs) can I get a 15 year rain check (laughs) but what I have started to do is say like is it okay with you if we kind of book this really far in advance yeah so that I can hold it as sacred mm-hmm. and not and then really show up because that's the other part and right look forward about to it the and trust building it. is um Brene Brown talks about this in her trust 
explorations and she has so much amazing stuff and we will put links to her in the show note if you don't know who that person is she is very the famous anatomy of trust yeah that's the one we love we'll put it in there um you know she talks about when she was studying people asking them you know what builds trust what makes you trust someone it's it's showing up it's showing up at crucial moments too someone that you never never see and then they like showed up to your mom's funeral. It's those tough moments, those thresholds. And they didn't necessarily say the perfect thing or give the eulogy. You know, like I they think sometimes when we think of showing up, and I, I'm talking also to overgiver, overachiever, overachievers, oversharers, get it right, addicts, anonymous here, especially, mm-hmm. which is everyone in this room currently, which is just <laughs> you and I, and probably many of our listeners, is that. I think sometimes when we think of showing up, we think of like bringing the U-Haul of healing. Oh yeah, I better have us. every appropriate like covered dish, uh, <laughs> all the anecdotes. Sometimes just that person seeing you or not even seeing you, and you standing at the very back of the church or non-secular place of gathering, um, or I mean, sorry, secular place of gathering <laughs> has to be non-secular, <laughs> secular place of gathering. Um, that is totally enough. And if mm-hmm. that, if the, sometimes the difference between showing up and not is not trying to do it perfectly mm-hmm. and just c- going over, washing hands, doing dishes, and saying you're doing everything right. Mm-hmm is literally all you need to do for that person to feel seen and feel heard. And I want to acknowledge as well, in a similar theme, the recovering attachment parents out there, of which I am one. And what I mean by that is people who, probably in pregnancy or before, read about attachment parenting, all of the benefits of baby wearing and uh, lactation, bed sharing, infant, bed feet, all the baby Beware bees. of baby trainers. Beware of baby trainers. I think trainers. that's really one. That really is one of them. <laughs> um, and then try to basically be the perfect attachment parent. If you achieve that, congratulations. That is amazing. Everyone I have ever talked to who went down that sort of trajectory of parenting at some point had some sort of realization or or clash of ideology with real realism um or crash mental health crash Mm -hmm. um and realized they needed to have a lot more uh boundaries and sustainable systems and one thing that is not taught in atta- about attachment parenting when it's essentially being like marketed to pregnant people is that every relationship, every attached relationship goes through cycles of rupture. So the first time as an, a quote unquote I- attachment identified parent that you yell at your kid. Mm-hmm. And then you go into this whole, like, doctor, what would Dr. Sears say spiral of how you're doing it and getting it wrong. The most healing part of that is really to recognize the fact that all, I'm just using the easy example of yelling, but it could be like saying you're going to show up and not. It Mm -hmm. could be like double booking. I've had that happen to, I've had friends call me crying saying some, this person double booked me knowing that I needed them to show up for me. Yeah. So how do you, that relationship isn't necessarily over, but there's an opportunity and it has to go into repair 
the rupture must be followed by repair. And if the repair and happens, you gotta acknowledge it. You have to acknowledgement is part of the repair. Mm-hmm. Gaslighting is just more rupture. Mm-hmm. And so that that's vulnerable to say I was wrong, but then if you don't actually do the work of repair then that relationship does just get like more hurt and more wounded and more toxic, especially if you stay actively in relationship with that person. And I also want to mention that if you've been brave enough to ask for what you need in a relationship and that person continues, that person does not repair and show up and seek opportunities for healing to happen and for the relationship to deepen and like move into greater understanding and authenticity and trust, then that is maybe a sign that that relationship is not going to feel okay for you. Because if you are asking for what you need Mm -hmm. and being willing to have repair occur and then having those needs continually gaslit, ignored, or the same rupture happen again and again... That's what's not yours to hold. Yeah. And that's where boundaries come in. I mean, what's often not spoken about is the baby bees that are boundaries and balance. And that that's the part of attachment, anything, but attachment parenting in this scenario. Um, But I like kind of using this as this analogy of like attachment friendships. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, and like that, you know, yeah, balance and boundaries are part of the bees. And that is what is the hardest to achieve. It's a lot easier to do the other parts of attachment that have like a clear, this is how to do it. And a great attachment parent isn't necessarily the person that never, no one ever, no one never has rupture occur. Yeah. It, it's we're like human. A, yeah. I mean, so inhale, exhale, and like, just like tension and release. It's the way nature moves. And it is, it is 100% inevitable. There is no way well, and I love this thing. We used to say this. We don't say it as much anymore, but it, it definitely is something that we said when we first started our business was as we were both figuring out that attachment parenting was really hard. Also, like, so much privilege to be an attachment parent. Right? Absolutely. And that what would happen is trying to be like the earth mart- mama turned into the earth martyr. And that then you just bury yourself under and nobody winds up um, benefiting, including yourself and whoever you're trying to really do that with. So in the idea of trust building, um, being able to remember that, yeah, repairing is necessary, like 100 percent necessary. And but also like knowing that you need a space in it, that you're in there, too. Right. So. When we are talking about all of this, it's like coming forward for me to think that you need to build trust with yourself as well, right? And trust that, like, you can show up for your own self. In some ways, that's what you were saying earlier, why you can't, like, show up to those friend dates is because you actually really need some time with you. Um, And that that's a part of this picture as well. Like, as we're building trust in these friendships in order to work outside of sister wound, we are saying, like, don't leave someone on read. You know, don't um, not acknowledge what has happened if something has happened. Also, don't say something you don't mean. Um, Show up for people. But all of those things for yourself as well. I think that's, like, kind of the encapsulatory, like... You can't do the inner vulnerable work of sitting in knowing you messed up and then going towards that mess up if you're not in a compassionate relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. So that 
Because then you'll just be so mean, right? Yeah. Because we're the meanest in our own heads to ourselves often. And I think that there's, when somebody messes up and they are working on repair, you have the opportunity, you know, and, and depending on what the relationship dynamic is and how that person has been to you over time, no judgments. But what I want to say is that when that relationship is generally a healthy one and it's one you wish to continue. Mm-hmm. There is always that opportunity, like, to keep almost, like, hanging it over their head, too. Someone's mess up, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it is hard, as shitty as it felt, to be left hanging at the diner, um, to walk towards the fact that you left somebody hanging at the diner and to really sit in the humility of your own shame and to ask how you can fix it and to then try to fix it. These are the human permissionings we need to give each other in order to build healthy relationship over time that really is based in something more than just words. Mm-hmm. And so we always have that opportunity. It's like the dual edge of the power, the victim. I'm talking within a friendship um, holds in that moment to either continue to weaponize the crime, you know, or to... Uh, stand in the power of, yeah, that didn't feel good, and I'm going to continue to tell you when things don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And also when things do feel good and when friendship is in a good flow for me. So I want to say one last thing that's coming up that I hadn't thought about before we did this, but that is, I think, a part of trust building. If down the road, maybe now, maybe while you're listening to this, if something's coming up and you're like, wow, I did that thing and I never acknowledged it, I just want to say that I don't think personally it is ever too late if you now know you need to, to come give it, to give the acknowledgement or even in some cases an apology. But sometimes acknowledgement is it not even necessary uh, to say, I am so sorry, but to just say, like, I did that thing, to say it. And um, I remember th- this kind of plays into parenthood and um, and doulaship in the way of um, if you were the first one um, to cross the threshold and your friends and family didn't know how to show up for you in that time period, and then they crossed the threshold, and then now you are able to show up for them, but they weren't for you. I had a friend write me a letter in um, her kind of like fourth trimester. I had crossed the threshold before her saying to me, I'm so sorry I didn't know how to take care of you in the way that I see you're taking care of me now. And it's okay for us to not know then, but when you know, it is so valuable to say it. I shouldn't have done that that way, and it took me three years to realize it but now I do realize it, and it is so valuable to acknowledge that backwards in time, like time, time travel friendship. We talked about that this morning, actually, like how you might have let something go in a mm-hmm. friendship and decided that the friendship was like worth fighting for, even though somebody really hurt you. But maybe it was a long time ago. And you have that crossroads moment where you're like, do I keep holding this hurt and pushing this person away Or do I decide to do my own healing in my own time and see how this goes? It never doesn't feel good to have that person even a decade later turn to you and go, 
I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, it feels, va- even if you have, like, in your own self decided that they're worth being friends with despite a big rupture, and even though you didn't have full true healing from it, you kind of are moving forward. This happens in families all the time, right? Especially extended families where, like, there'll be some big stink at Thanksgiving, but then, like, the next Thanksgiving comes around and the next Thanksgiving, and you're still in that space with those people that said or did those really tough things. But because you're family, you kind of do keep showing up, and it might take a decade or there's so much that happens in the end-of-life portal, right, where people acknowledge the hurt they caused and the opportunities that were missed for connection to really occur. And I do think that it is that, you know, vulnerability, you know, feels a certain way for a reason. It mm-hmm. isn't supposed to be easy. And that's really what relationship is about. And I think that the other thing I just want to say before we go is I want to acknowledge the personal responsibility that comes with trust building when there are power dynamics at play. So let's just use an easy example. Like if you're starting a business with somebody and like you come from like a hedge fund background and have like a hundred million dollars and meanwhile they're like a stay-at-home parent because they like can't actually afford childcare and their partner is working too or they're you know, that's a very clear dynamic where it would be very important to acknowledge in a contract (laughs) preferably and written down that you're going to have different things you're bringing to the table and what is all the boundaries and value exchange and the person just with like the financial capital doesn't get to own the person who doesn't have those support systems in place Mm -hmm. and the fact that probably that relationship partnership uh, work relationship and friendship will all go down the toilet very quickly or become extremely harming and toxic and all of that will get bundled in to the business or to whatever's going on if that's not acknowledged because there's such a clear there's such a clear differentiation and that you know race needs to be brought into that and certain other privileges and discriminations need to be brought into that for relationships to actually function in a way that's healthy over time yeah and So one thing, we took some time last episode to really talk about um, gender and sex and anatomical sex versus gender. And we did some like really basic education at the beginning of that. And one of the reasons it was important for me to take the time to do that was because we've certainly noticed in activist learning spaces that particularly white women often will weaponize information in order to like assert their positionality as an authority on a particular subject and then the learning of everyone who's not as far along in that path or on that learning just immediately gets silenced and squashed and can't grow and can't move to the next yeah, level shamed even completely shamed and so this We have the ability to um, have a dialogue here in this space that we can take some of that time to really give the space for the people that are listening that maybe some of them know lots about one thing we're talking about but have never heard a certain word be used. And I just think that it's important in 
reproductive learning spaces, particularly where so much sensitivity occurs, it's not trauma informed to weaponize knowledge and to assert your, um, and I'm speaking particular to, particularly to like white cis women right now. Um, black women feel <laughs> what you want to feel about how people are or are not where they should be on a path. That is not who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to white cis women, particularly who weaponize information in spaces and block the learning of others. And I think there needs to be trust building that's done in learning spaces so that we can actually advance mm. because we can't move beyond an edge, especially an edge with something as vulnerable as unpacking your own racism, your own internalized misogyny, your own internalized homophobia, your own internalized all the things that the society's matrix have kind of imprinted on us from the moment we were born that allows for something like sister wounding to just spring right out of. Mm -hmm. If we cannot be truly honest with the edges of our own um, knowledge and uh, lack of knowledge... And so I think I just want to say that, that yeah, like start that, where you are. Talking about trust building seems like something we would only be doing in interpersonal relationships. But what you're saying is that it's also important in learning spaces. Yeah, and and online. larger group environments that we might not normally think, oh, this is a moment for trust building. But it can be. Really, truly, like every moment in your life could be. One of the things that we talk about is always ask yourself, who is this serving? By asking yourself that before you speak, act, react, specifically if you're reacting to someone, asking who is this serving is a way to build trust. Absolutely. Right? That, is a, that is an action item that we can give you because if you ask yourself who is this serving and really reflect to see who that is before you say it and potentially even change your mind because you realize now that that might cause some harm because it isn't going to serve anybody but maybe the kind of like egoic self yes all right we got to wrap it up because we want to keep these because we want to build trust with you so you'll come back that's right <laughs> uh, building trust right now by ending this episode with so and much respecting love. your time yeah we love and you your thank container. you for being here Leave a review, it's really helpful.